0: Welcome to Caregiver S.O.S. On Air, presented by the WellMed Charitable Foundation, a program providing help and information for our caregivers who are vital to the health and welfare of so many people in our community. You can hear Caregiver S.O.S. On Air Sundays at 6 p.m. on 930 a.m., The Answer. And now, here are your hosts, Ron Aaron and Carol Zernio. Well, thank you very much and
1: welcome to Caregiver S.O.S. On Air. I'm Ron Aaron, along with our co-host, Carol Zerniel, she is a nationally known gerontologist, serves as the executive director of the WellMed Charitable Foundation, and is the past chair and is a board member at the National Council on Aging. And it's good to see you.
2: It's good to be here. Thank you.
1: We've got coming up in just a few minutes, Michael Kittanyi will be joining us. Former Express News writer, has done a lot of traveling around this country and elsewhere, a well-known local celebrity, and he'll be joining us in a couple of moments to share his caregiving story. But first, you've got a list, and I love when you have lists. I
2: have lists.
1: Seven surprising things that help you live longer.
2: Well, you know, I thought this was such an interesting list because the, the list is not what you might think it would be. So um, to, to live longer, one of the first things you can do is live in an affluent community. So obviously some of these things we have control of and some we don't. So in an affluent community, it doesn't necessarily mean, uh, you know, there's, there's a relationship between education and health. That we've known for a long time. Um, and people in affluent communities tend to smoke less. Maybe they have better green spaces. So the good news is it doesn't mean your neighborhood. Lower income people who live in affluent cities like Boston also enjoy better health. So if you can't live in a good neighborhood, move to a good city. I can localize this
1: for us because the uh, Health Collaborative annually does, or every couple of years does, the Bear County Health Assessment. If you live north of Hildebrand, your lifespan is 20 years longer than if you live south of Hildebrand. Well, An amazing, 20 years scary is statistic. It's a big
2: number. That's a huge number. Scary. It is scary.
1: Um, I used to be on the board of the Health Collaborative. They do great work.
2: Yes. Yes. But are you saying you did you. too? No, I was going to say, no, I was. You were. <laughs> were we both? <laughs>
1: no you were yes that's yeah. true
2: so so where you live matters how about flossing your teeth
1: well you know i floss every day and I had a dentist who said to me once, well, only floss between the ones you want to keep. But new studies say it doesn't matter. Well, so I don't know.
2: Well, there, you know, there's bacteria that gets in between your teeth, and that bacteria can cause inflammation, particularly in the heart. Uh, and so flossing your teeth gets rid of the bad bacteria, and you live longer. So it can add six years to your life. So how about that? Less cavities and six years to your life.
1: I may floss right now. I know.
2: I'm going to start right now. Um, Staying social. This one is not a mystery to us because we've we've heard all about the studies about socialization and staying um, engaged will help your health. The next one, having a birthday in the fall. Another one, can't do anything about So why would people who are born in September, October, and November live longer? They think it has something to do with when your mom was pregnant, the germs that she was exposed to in the summer and in the winter, there are more illness than in the fall when the weather is more moderate. They think it's something like that. They don't know for sure. So, hey, I'm out.
1: Well, our daughter Reagan's in. September 4th is her birthday. There you
2: go. So you can figure out which one of your family members are going to be okay because they have fall birthdays. Um, Practicing a religion... So being spiritually engaged, that could be because, you know, prayer and meditation, less stress. It can also be the socialization and the feeling of of giving back that helps you live longer. Living near green spaces doesn't have to be out in the country, can be near a park, but that connection with Mother Nature... Well, it's then, nice to
1: see San Antonio building pocket parks.
2: That's, uh, well, any kind of parks. Yeah, cities, you know, that I, I flew in over the weekend, and San Antonio is so green right now with all the rain we've had. Everything right. looks like a green space um, from that's the true. air. So that's nice. The last one um, is cleaning your house, but it's, you know, I read that and I thought, oh, cleaning your house, get rid of the dust, that's good for you. No, it's the activity, the vacuuming, the dusting, the running around. So if you don't want to clean your house, just go take a walk.
1: So, it doesn't work if you hire that out.
2: <laughs> no. no. Just curious. Not for your health. Not for your health. <laughs> I'm
1: just asking for a friend.
2: <laughs> yeah, that's what I thought.
1: All right, up next. And by the way, Michael Cantonese will be with us in just a few minutes, and we'll be talking with him. He's also going to be, uh, along with me, the co mc at the Caregiver Summit that's coming up in not too many months. That's
2: right, in November. That'll be
1: cool. What if you have been wrongly charged for Medicare? Get a lawyer.
2: Well, you know, this is not something that happens very often. (laughs) If I was Stephen Colbert, I'd make a face, but you can't see that on the radio. Um, So uh, there is, uh, on the PBS NewsHour, they have an economist, maybe you have a journalist, Philip Mueller, and he is writing about Social Security and Medicare and answering very concrete, specific questions. And so it came up, you know, what do you do if if somebody screws up your Medicare? And unfortunately, there's not a lot you can do. Here's what you can do. You can fill out the form to appeal to Medicare. Your local area agency on aging can assist you with that if that is confusing and difficult. So they can help you file an appeal. And I think I would go straight to that because the folks are not going to answer the phone at the Medicare office. But the people at the area agency on aging will, if you don't know who your area agency on aging is... Type in Elder Care Locator into your search engine, and it will pop up. You can just put in your zip code, and it'll give you your local agency.
1: That's good advice.
2: So, And then as a last resort, if nothing else works, and this is the second time this week I've heard this, call your congressman. Because government officials um, listen to elected officials. So if all else fails, <laughs> somebody elected officials are going to be filling up my mailbox. Uh, go ahead and call your congressman and let them know what's going on.
1: Constituent services is a big part of them getting reelected. So they, they do those things.
2: They do. And a lot of people don't realize that. But since I've heard that twice, it must be true.
1: Cool. Up next, does positive thinking help your heart? Can you think your heart healthy?
2: Well, you know, if you were going to ask my mother that question, she would have said absolutely positive thinking cures everything. We had to go around practicing positive thinking, restating our sentences positively. She was totally into that. Um, But, yes, positive thinking does help you live longer because psychological well-being, you know, has all of those benefits for your immune system. It can reduce inflammation. So there really is a direct correlation between how you think, what you think, that that reframing, and why would we even talk about this with caregivers? It's important to, you know, it's hard to change your circumstances. And Dr. Lewis, who wrote our stress-busting program, talks about this. You can't change your circumstances, but you can change your reaction to them. So if you're not angry all the time, as a primary reaction, if you can think about, you know, the little train that could and making it up the hill eventually. Um, That is actually going to help your physical health. Uh, We have a long way to go to connect the brain to the rest of the body, but it's important that we practice that. I Um, think I can. I think I I can. I think I can. I know you can. I
1: like that. By the way, if you've just joined us, you're listening to WellMed Radio on 930 AM, The Answer. She's Carol Zerniel, our co-host. I'm Ron Aaron. And we're talking to you about stuff.
2: About stuff. And and we're on Caregiver SOS on air. I said
1: WellMed Radio. You did. Bad Ronnie.
2: Bad Ronnie. It's the
1: other show we do, by the way, that airs at (laughs) 5 o'clock Sundays. This one airs at 6 p.m. Sundays. Yes thank you absolutely. I'm glad you caught that That's
2: all right, because I thought I was in the wrong place talking to the wrong guy.
1: one last question, Mr. Rogers, can we still learn from him?
2: you know we can always learn from Mr. Rogers. Did you see the documentary on Mr. Rogers? No, but
1: it's on my bucket list.
2: It should be on your see it now list i I was absolutely blown away by the documentary um, you know, just in terms of children's television and how he helped invent that and then his dedication to the kids i mean i i you'll cry if you see it you'll absolutely cry but there are some life lessons that we can learn from Mr. Rogers, stylish man that he is. You know, and, and that's the thing, is a lot of people thought, oh gosh, Mr. Rogers, and roll your eyes. When my son was small and he watched Mr. Rogers, I couldn't stand it. I mean, it was like fingernails on a chalkboard at first. And then I kind of, you know, I started getting to where I liked it, and I really looked forward to him coming in and putting on that sweater and the sitting cardigan. down. Yeah, it took me a while to figure out because it was so low tech. Um, with the puppets and everything, but eventually I grew to where I loved it as well. Um, But one of the things that we learned from Mr. Rogers and that sweater in the closet every day is that routine is good. And if you're a caregiver, you're working with somebody with Alzheimer's, that routine will save you. You don't want those unexpected surprises. It it brings you comfort, and it brings the person that you're caring for comfort as well. Um, His second thing is if if it, it feels good to make something, even if you aren't good at it. Like if I drew a picture, you would go, wow, you're not very good at that. Um, But I would tell you, hey, it makes me feel good. So we don't have to be good at things. That reminds me of my mother who had Alzheimer's, and she came over for Thanksgiving just a few months before she passed. And there wasn't a lot she could do, but she had muscle memory for peeling potatoes. And I, I, she's looking at me, and I said, you want to help peel potatoes? And I put that in her hand with the potatoes. Man, she peeled all those potatoes wow. very well. And I could tell she felt really good because she had contributed something to that sure. Thanksgiving luncheon. So it doesn't have to be art. It can be as simple as peeling potatoes. Um, you know, if you watch Mr. Rogers, you see he t- puts on his sneakers, right? He takes off his work clothes, and he puts on his play clothes when he gets home. And I was thinking, do we have caregiving clothes? Are there things you wear around the house when you're caregiving? How would you feel if you wore something that makes you feel good? You know, change your attitude by changing your clothes. There may be something That's in great that. great idea. Yeah, there may be something in that. Um, the land of make-believe. So Mr. Rogers, his make-believe was not real high-tech. I think all of us can probably scrounge up a uh, a beach in our minds or a mountain scene or Las Vegas something that makes us happy so don't be afraid to daydream and go there um, he I'd love this statement uh, when he was small he was afraid of bad news on the TV and his mother would always say look for the helpers look in the background people are helping look for the helpers and I think about the news now and we think of so many people who do rush in who do help so if you're a caregiver look for the helpers who really is there with the lights on that you think might help you? Or if you're not a caregiver, can you be one of those helpers? It's good advice. And then the last one, be a good neighbor. You knew that was coming, sure. right? <laughs> so just being a good neighbor, um, you know, be a force for good in any little way you can. It will pay off. Won't you be my neighbor? And won't you be my neighbor? And see the documentary. It's excellent.
1: Michael Kinnea is up next on Caregiver SOS on air radio. at 930 AM, The Answer. I'm Ron Aaron along with Carol Zernio, and we talk to Michael in just a couple of minutes right here on Caregiver SOS On Air. You ever wonder what you can learn from listening to WellMed Radio? Hi, I'm Ron Aaron. Our co-host, Cora Juke, is here, nurse practitioner. What can folks learn from WellMed Radio?
3: You know, we talk about a lot of things such as chronic disease management, how to manage your diabetes, your blood pressure, but we also talk about social issues such as what WellMed offers and what you can do to improve your health and improve your life.
1: And it's something that uh, you're newer to WellMed Radio, and I get a kick out of working with you. What is it you like about doing radio?
3: Well... I like to make sure that my patients are educated, that they know how to take care of themselves, because I only get a brief moment in time to take care of them in the office, and I want to partner with them and make sure they have everything they need at home.
1: Nurse practitioner at Cora Juke, I'm Ron Aaron. You can catch WellMed Radio Sundays at 5 p.m. exclusively on 930 a.m. The Answer. Be There. We are so glad you're with us here on Caregiver SOS On Air. I'm Ron Aaron, along with our co-host, Carol Zerniel. And I promised, and we deliver when we promise, Michael Keenia joins us. He was a feature writer for the San Antonio Express News for the longest time, focusing on fashion and the intersection of pop culture. Before that, he has been involved in newspapers and other reporting across the world, in Los Angeles predominantly, grew up in San Antonio and has a degree from Trinity University and a Burbank High School grad go Burbank
2: no go Tigers i knew that i want to see if he remembers <laughs> I want to see if he remembered. Of course he remembers. He's a Trinity grad. (laughs) Oh
1: oh, there you are. And so are you. (laughs) So
2: am like, Oh, oh you got that. (laughs) Yeah, I got that. I got
1: that. In fact, if you went to Trinity, I'm sorry you can go to work for the Well Med Charitable
2: Foundation. (laughs) That's right. Yeah,
1: just have your alumni office call Carol.
2: Well now, so let's ask Michael. We were talking in the first segment about how fashion can change your clothes and You did some fashion editing. Would you agree that dressing up and getting out of your grungy caregiving clothes might pep you up?
4: Absolutely, but I love the grungy uh, <laughs> caregiving clothes because it's so comfortable.
2: Right. Well, that's true. <laughs> there is something to that as well. You don't have to dress up to I, There's caregiving.
4: nothing like a T-shirt and elastic-waisted joggers <laughs> and oh, some yeah. comfortable sneakers. Ed McMahon pants. <laughs> yeah. I For those old enough to remember.
2: <laughs> did he wear elastic pants? He did. No way. Oh, I, yeah. You, under that suit? Yep. You're kidding. Well, he needed it. It was the I only just, way to keep I the figured, pants. I figure he had a tailor.
1: Wow. <laughs> no, not Ed McMahon. Yeah. didn't want to spend the money on a tailor. My so, goodness. Michael, I, one of the things I want to talk about, and, and Carol and I are both interested, because I don't know a lot about what you did as a caregiver.
4: Mm-hmm. Uh, well, uh, I've re- I retired from the Express News about two years ago, and um, it was a major decision to make because at the time, my mom was very ill and uh, wasn't getting better. Uh, she would have her good days and, and a lot of bad days, right? And then um, my partner, Paul, who we actually married when the Supreme Court ruled in favor of same sex. you know, We've been together for 40 years and traveled the, this whole journalism journey together. He was in advertising, and I've always been um, a reporter and a writer. Uh, he was also very ill. He had already retired, preceded me in retiring. And I could see that they really needed more, uh, more help. And um, my mom, we had providers for her Monday through Friday and on the weekends. And it's funny, they were all named Maria. We called them the three Marias. So <laughs> and, then, uh, and I could see where Paul needed help as well. So I decided that it was time to, uh, um, to, de- to really fully devote myself to them because I was finding I was using all of my – and I thank your um, – listeners out there can can uh, relate to this you find yourself saving all of your vacation time uh, all of your comp days uh, uh, for that two o'clock in the morning call that you get from someone or uh, you know I don't feel well I'm I think I'm having a a stroke uh, we need to go to the ER so you just and you literally jump out of your bed in your pajamas you grab the keys and you run to your car and you get to mom's house, you know, and you go to the hospital like that. And um, you really do that because I, I, I found out that every second counts in those instances. And my mom was always, um, she just, she, I think she found some, she found comfort in me driving her, even though I'd say, mom, call EMS, you know. It's so difficult sometimes to convince a person who's very sick and who's elderly that EMS can get you there faster and they get you into the hospital right away as opposed to me driving her you know and I don't know if it's a cultural thing but uh, but eventually my mom did agree that you know mom I'm calling EMS but I am coming to your house right now.
1: In fact the recommendation always is call EMS if you think you're having a stroke or a heart attack. Mm -hmm.
2: All right there's a an example of even um, you know someone that works with us at the foundation that uh, you know a friend called and said drive me to the hospital and the family member you did that, but the guy died of a heart attack on the way to the hospital. Mm-hmm. Um, so, yeah, call. I think you bring up a very good point. You can say, I'm coming, I'm on my way, but go ahead and call EMS. You know, there is, I heard a, an attorney once say that all EMS drivers are good-looking guys. Um, so, to, <laughs> you know, for, for all of you out there, uh, you know, they're, they're well-educated. They're going to be ready to help you. And who knows, they might be good-looking too. Yes,
4: and, you know, the other great thing about the EMS technicians is that uh, they're trained. Well, and, and they're also, fam- sometimes they go to the same home twice in a month.
2: Right, and they'll know
3: you.
4: They know you, they know the patient, they know the make the layout of the house. Right. Like how to bring the stretcher in, the front door won't work, let's go in through the back. Right. So they they are already solving before they enter the house, and that's the great thing. They they knew my mom, they they knew me, they knew I was on my way. Michael's here, Uh, uh, where's Becky, that's my sister, she just pulled up, okay, great, let's get going, you know.
2: So they could get the whole family together. I love
4: the EMS Techs, and uh, they were awesome and wonderful, and they also helped to educate my mom. At one point, we actually rearranged the furniture in her home, so it would make it easier for the EMS uh, uh, text to come in with the stretcher, we realized it. great idea. Yes, I said, Mom, we have to move this table. We have to rearrange. It's going to be fine. You're going to love it. And when those guys came in, they were astonished. They were like, Oh, my God, Miss Quintanilla, your
2: house looks great. You, know? <laughs> you rearranged for us. That's That's, great. I, that's a, I have to admit, that's the first time I've heard that one. It's a great and, idea, Rearranging though. a bedroom for medical equipment, but rearranging the living room to get the EMS guys in. And my sister and I... I have always had
4: my mom's list of medications the uh, we would take her blood pressure while EMS was on its way if we were at the, at her home cuz she would always call me and say I I'm, I'm not feeling well Some I know something's going to happen and so I'd get over there and she'd say let's take I'd say mom let's take your blood pressure so I would jot down the time and then the numbers and uh and then I guess you could also get your heart rate and we would write that down and then I would plead with her mom let's call EMS come on it, it you know, let's just do it. And I finally convinced her, and then they'd get there, and I would show them the blood pressure readings that we had, and uh, and we always had questions. We had her ID handy, ready, her Medicare card handy, ready. We had all of her list of medicines ready. We had printed out multiple uh, stacks of, of of all this information. My sister had it, I had it. We had folders, and we always had questions. We all we never went to the hospital without a list of questions we had already printed out questions that just regular questions that we would ask on my mom's behalf because I found myself becoming my mother's voice and my mom always taught us that as she was aging and as she was becoming unhealthy she sat us down and she said at some point I'm not going to be able to explain myself or tell uh, the medical professionals what's going on or what I need you and Becky must be my
2: voice. Well, give me an example of a question that you might have asked the EMS. Um, uh, you, uh,
4: you know, what is a stroke? Uh, what do we need to do before you get here? You know, how do we elevate her blood pressure? Uh, things like that. Um, um, you know, what, what are the signs? What can we look for? Uh, or like if she feels like, like the, the left side of her face feels weird, what does that mean? The right side? Of, you know, things like that. Okay. Uh, uh, should we give her water? Uh, do we stand her up? Do we make her move? You know, do, do, does she need to move? Because my mom was always just sitting, you know. She'd reach the point where she loved her recliner. And we would always say, Mom, we need to exercise. And she did not like to do that. So we would actually uh, get her up and and walk her around the house, inside the house, and uh, and then sit her back down. My mom wanted to live alone. She never, we never, of course, taking her to a nursing facility or something like that was never Brought that we never would have done that, and so w- I was already thinking at some point of mom moving in with with, with uh, Paul and I, or or my sister or or my sister Becky. She's the youngest. I have three sisters, and so anyway, um, we had talked about that, but but which is why we looked into just getting her daytime help providers, and then in the evening, my sister and I and I have my two other sisters, we uh, we build a schedule. On Mondays, I would go from 6 o'clock till overnight. And then on Tuesdays, my other sister would go. On Wednesdays, Thursdays, and so forth. And then we would divvy up the weekends. So Hold, we, hold that we thought just scheduled. a minute. Uh-huh.
1: For those of you who are listening, that's Michael Keenia, formerly with the Express News. He was a smart one. He retired and was able <laughs> to get out at the right time for him on his own. Good for you, Michael. I'm Ron Aaron, along with Carol Zerniel. You're listening to Caregiver SOS on air at 9.30 a.m. The answer. And as I listen to you... Two things come to mind. One is you must have had the neatest desk at the <laughs> Express News. Never loose papers, right? Right. Yeah. Now, how did I know that? Because you're so organized. <laughs> Secondly, as you went through all this, you decide uh, you retire, you leave the paper, partly because of uh, Paul and partly because of your mom. What were you thinking about for yourself? How, how did this affect you?
4: I, um, um, it, it was tough at first, but I've always been a—, a I might be small in stature, but I'm, I'm, I'm very, I'm fearless and, and I, and I found an inner, a ver, an inner strength and I think maybe courage is, is that, could that be
2: it? Uh, Absolutely. You know, Absolutely. Uh, I mean, because to, to, that's a, the uncertainty in that feeling of no solid ground beneath your feet. I think that's maybe the common element. It's for very most disconcerting. Caregivers, for most caregivers, you're like free, like you're in a free fall. And to admit that and just take charge and say, I'm not going to feel like this anymore is, you know, facing that.
4: And I just have always been um, a doer. And I think it's part of, of my of being having been a journalist for 40 years where you go out there and you fight for people you tell their stories and many times you find that you are fighting for their welfare for their survival because they've sacrificed so much. And now they're in this human condition, the state of human condition uh, that, that makes for a riveting story. And, and because I fought, you know, as I say, I, I wrote the stories and you find yourself fighting for these people. And so I found myself fighting for Ma and fighting for Paul. And, and I think doing that, really made me stand up straight and, and, and find some kind of power. But I'm also a very sweet and kind guy. I know I am because I think that that helps you so much. If you go into a hospital situation, you do not want to be angry with your caregivers because that won't help you i have had my shirley McLean moment i have to tell you though you know in terms of endearment yes you know just give my daughter that darn aspirin you know that scene <laughs> carol can share some of those experiences yeah, well, i say
2: I'm, i i i'm not the calm and and nice uh family caregiver you know if you, if you see me and my sister coming um, and you're in one of our relatives is in the hospital oh watch out you don't, <laughs> don't want both of us
4: yeah but there it's a fine balance right and what i did learn is what when i was in the hospital is i i just observed my head was on a swivel i was observing everything i knew how to work every gadget in there and i knew what questions to ask and i you know and and so uh, in fact a few times, other hospital professionals would ask me if I was a nurse, you know <laughs> and I said no, but i 'm learning from you guys and they said that 's great it's good because hospital personnel always told me that they, they it's very rare that they get family members in there who ask questions they don't they don 't know what's going on mm-hmm. and when they get someone in there who does know what 's going on, who knows the history of that person in that bed, right the heart history, the cancer, whatever it is they you know because professionals come in there and they speak to family uh what can you tell us about you know the situation and they have they go uh
1: i don't know hold that thought we're going to come right back to you as we continue this story on 9:30 a.m the answer i'm ron air and our special guest is michael katania carol zernio our co-host is here this is caregiver sos on air <laughs> We are so pleased you are with us here on Caregiver SOS On Air. I'm Ron Aaron, along with our co-host Carol Zernio. You hear us on 9.30 a.m. The Answer. We come to you at 6 p.m. Sundays, and podcasts of all of our shows are available, free on iTunes, and you can download them and send them to a friend or neighbor or relative or someone who believes, who you believe can benefit from listening. Uh, For example, to what Michael Kinney, our guest, is telling us about his experience as a guy who was a uh, you know top reporter for the Express News, well-known, busy guy who uh, decides at some point he's got to go home and care for his partner and husband and for his mom. Both are suffering uh, from a variety of illnesses, and Michael devoted his days, more hours than you care to think about, to helping to care for them. Were you prepared for how time-consuming caregiving is
4: uh not really it's 24 hours a day when someone is that ill that they're in the hospital because what i learned from ma and paul is that they really want you there even though they're comfortable and maybe you know they're 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 getting better and they're still in the hot they need to be in the hospital when you leave i I could see how I could see their faces. It's like, oh no, he's leaving.
2: No, oh, and you don't ever want to leave anybody <laughs> no. alone in the hospital. Not now. Yeah. These days. I yeah. mean, you just, you really cannot. Yeah. Well,
1: they're understaffed. Yeah, and that's number one. Yes. So they're at risk in a, lot, in a yes. lot of ways.
4: And so I would stay overnight. And so, um, and here's another good tip that I always had a bag packed, ready to go you know, uh, with clothes and toothbrush and all those personal items that you need. You had to you could, go back. Yes, because it's hard to get that once you're in the hospital. Everyone's busy, and as you say, they're understaffed, and you can see the stress in, on their faces when they're so busy and have other patients, you know. So I would do that, and I would bring extra things that, that would make my mom and Paul's uh, time in the hospital a little bit more comfortable. Little pillows I found were very useful, little pillows to put under arms or to put, on the neck, um, you know, and and certain foods that they could eat, that kind of thing. Uh, At one point, maybe three times uh, this happened. My mom was on the third floor and Paul was on the fifth floor.
2: Oh, at the same time. At the
4: same time. Mm. So I was going up and down. You know, and well, at least they were in the same hospital. Yes, uh huh. That's one thing I told them: if you're going to get sick together, <laughs> please <laughs> you have to go to the same to hospital. The same <laughs> hospital. Yeah. Yeah. Oh. <laughs> we can laugh about it now because uh, because everyone always said, "Oh God, those two are always competing for your attention." <laughs> 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 they even end up oh. in the hospital at the same time, and I said it just happens that way, you know. Uh, so they always went to the same hospital because they had a good rapport there, and there were regular patients there, and uh, so did, that happened.
2: Did by. each of them have a bag? Is it you had three bags that you would grab?
4: Yes. Yeah, I always had a bag ready for Paul and because, you know, you want your bottoms want your tops. You want your, 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 you and want your, your jammies. Yeah, you want your jammies and, and uh, cell phone chargers, things like that that you often forget. You know, it will save you so much time from running back home and then running back, you know, your back and forth if you don't have that ready. I would just keep it in the car. And uh, and my mom knew that, and Paul knew that, and it wasn't like a, it wasn't a harbinger that something was going to happen, but just in case it did happen, I found that to be very very useful.
1: Now, as you think back about that time period and the help you provided for those who are listening, some of whom may become a caregiver midnight tonight. You, mm-hmm. you just never know when it's going to happen. Well, what's your best advice on how to prepare for being a caregiver?
4: Be very patient with uh, the person that that needs your help. Um, listen to them. Um, because I found that when you're that sick and you need to be rushed to the hospital, um, you're also angry as the sick person. Right. And so often, um, um, sometimes this will have, they'll lash out at you or, you know, people start to scream and get upset, you know, and, and, and I just tried to find myself to, like, tried to get, stay calm. And, uh, and then, you know, so, sometimes my mom or Paul would say, oh, these these hospital people don't know what's wrong with me. That happens a lot, you know. They don't know what they're doing. I keep telling them that it's this and that, and that's another thing. You have to agree with them at the moment, but then you go outside and you speak to the hospital professionals away from from your mother or your or your husband or wife, <laughs> and uh, and 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 listen to what they have to say. Uh, I always found myself uh, agreeing with my mother and with Paul because I knew that once I left the room, I could disagree and. And, and pay attention to what the professionals were telling me. Then I'd go back in, and I would explain it to them, like, Mom, you really need to do this breathing treatment. She hated those breathing treatments, but I think at the very end, because she didn't take those breathing treatments in the hospital, that it worsened her condition, and mm-hmm. then she had to be intubated. And, and then from there on— That's it, no fun. It was no fun, and it, 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 it was a struggle for her. And, and so she had to be put into hospice just as Paul was put into hospice.
1: Both at the same
4: time? Uh, no, my mom died um, about nine months before Paul did last year, and she died close to Mother's Day.
1: How'd you yeah. deal with it? It was difficult.
2: Yeah, Mother's Day is such a special day. And it's still day. difficult,
1: obviously.
4: Still tough. Yeah. And then Paul died at Thanksgiving, and he loved Thanksgiving because he was a great cook. He loved to cook, and baking was his, was his thing, right? And so he died the day after Thanksgiving. I,
1: I read some of the beautiful tributes you put on Facebook. Ah, thank which, you. Which <laughs> uh, so
4: powerful. I, well, you know, is writing cathartic for Yes, you? for me it is. And I use Facebook a lot. And uh, and I know that that would probably help a lot of people. We see Facebook. Like, please pray for my mother. Please pray for my, my dad. Please pray for my, my sick dog. Whatever it is, it's someone that you love so much that you want prayers. And prayers really help. And um, And so... Um, I was getting all these uh, messages from people when Paul was in the hospital. Please tell Paul that he was a great boss. Please tell Paul that I loved his pecan pies, that kind of thing. So, Ron, at that moment, I I put out a message on Facebook. Everyone just, uh, please tell me what you want me to tell Paul, because the doctors told me, uh, even though he was in hospice and he couldn't speak, that he could hear. And that's the one thing they always told me, just keep talking to him, play his favorite music and talk to him. So, you know, I played um, uh, Hank Williams Jr. and yeah. um, Tammy Wynette. He loved country, old country, you know, yeah. old school country. And so uh, we played a lot of that. And then I started, to, I started to read him the messages. And I'm actually working on a little book right now Again. called Please Tell Paul that I hope I can uh, have together by Thanksgiving just to let everyone know that I've collected all of your messages. And it's just a l- tiny little thing that I'm putting together uh, just for myself. I call it a book, but it's not really. But it's just all of the Facebook messages. And I'm calling it Please Tell Paul.
2: Well, that's, you know, that's some of the power of that's social powerful. media in yeah. um, difficult times uh to to be able to connect with that many people and get those messages and right. and that in itself cuz all those people can't come down to the hospital. Paul isn't in shape exactly. to have all of those visitors, <laughs> and how wonderful that their voices can still get to him. But his. of
1: course, Carol is the last living American not on, on Facebook. Facebook.
2: <laughs> but I see the power of it. You see it. Yeah. I see it. I I'm not on it, I but I understand. Well, so how I use it works. Facebook
4: because <laughs> I don't write for the paper regularly, right? right. And, and I use it. And it's a great way to reach people. Yes, and just yesterday I got just like this blind message from someone saying, I don't know you, but I follow you because I love everything you write.
1: That's cool. (laughs) Did you get Paul's pecan pie recipe? (laughs) Yes. Well, then put it in the book.
4: (laughs) Yeah, his favorite recipe was a seven-layer cake that was awesome. We we would bake it and then he would slice it in half and freeze it. And you know, it's always better to frost a cake when it's frozen. And so I did not know that it was a pecan a pecan spice (laughs) cake, seven layers. It was out of this world, you know. And uh, and I wrote a lot about my mom. I found that very soothing and helpful toward me for me. So. So if anyone out there loves to write, or even if you, everyone's a writer, you know, just just do some, just do it. I found it very helpful to write about my mom's story as well because I don't, you know, my mom and I were extremely close. She helped me land my first job in journalism because at the time that I was hired as a reporter. I, uh, I was asked, okay, the job is yours. It was here at the Express News, and then I went on to L.A. But uh, the job is yours, but before you leave, I need to ask you, this was the editor, right, say, asking me, do you have a car driver's license and car insurance? And I said yes to everything, but I took the bus because I didn't have any of that, <laughs> and they were putting me on the police beat. <laughs> so I got home. <laughs> right, fresh right, for, for
2: hours. <laughs> Carol,
4: fresh, fresh graduate from Trinity, <laughs> and uh, I told my mom, she says, so what happened, my mom was divorced at the time. She's always been a single parent. And uh, I said, did you get the job? I said, yes, Mom, I got it, but I need a car. She says, you need a car? I said, oh, gosh, what are we going to do? And my mom said, don't worry about it. Where are you going to be? I said, well, I need to go to the police station. Well, you call me whenever you need to go on, on, to go cover something, and I'll come pick you up. So you had a chauffeur. So my mom and I covered the police <laughs> beat together.
2: <laughs> That's right. A job wow. it was a job and a half. She you know?
4: drove me to shootings and drownings oh, and fires. Oh, my goodness. And, what uh, a mom. That's uh-huh. cool. <laughs> wow.
1: Now, I know one of the things you want to talk about before we run out of time, Michael Kidney, is care for caregivers. And, and you discovered yourself that uh,
4: you got to care for yourself. Yes. And you know what? I didn't really think that was an option because you're always doing. And you kind of feel like that's almost guilty. You, you feel like, why do I need to take care of myself? These people are so sick. They're the ones who need care. But I did find that, man, um, you need your rest. So my friends were very thoughtful, my, so many great friends in our lives, right? And they would, say, uh, they would bring me meals. They would leave food outside my front door, inside coolers with packed ice and stuff like that They'd, And because they knew what was – friends came to the hospital and found me and, and would just pull me out of the room and we'd go and talk. And so, yes, you do need to take care of yourself. And I found the most helpful thing was sleep. You just have to at some absolutely. point yeah. whenever my mom or Paul were in a good in a good place. And I'd say, OK, I'm going to go home and I'm going I'm, to I'll be back like in four or five hours because I really need to sleep. Ma, do you understand? And she say, yes, me. I said, Paul, do you understand? And he said, absolutely, Mikey, go home. Right. And so but that's that, how I would catch up.
2: That's that's so critical. I was talking with someone else recently from the Rosalind Carter Institute. Um, and she was saying that any time a caregiver was absolutely having a meltdown, she would ask them, when is the last time you had a good night's sleep? Because mm-hmm. uh, it can totally change your attitude and what you can handle or not handle mm-hmm. with a good night's sleep.
4: Absolutely. And I said, look, I really have to go home because I have, we have two dogs, Coco and
2: Charlie. And you know when you leave dogs alone?
4: They like I, they they do whatever they, they want to do. Yeah, they, get in do, do, they get in as, do as dogs do. <laughs> <Yeah>. <laughs> so I was whenever I really needed to leave, I, had, I would I would use Charlie and Coco as an excuse. I, I need like to that. go home and take care of the dogs. Give me like an hour, and then I'll be right back. Now,
1: so. what got you interested in the caregiver summit where you and I are going to be the co MCs for that event?
4: Oh, I would just uh, so love to be a part of that. I've been talking about it to my neighbors and other people I know who are because we're all caregivers. A person doesn't necessarily have to be in the hospital or, act, or actually be so sick. You know, we, we, we take care of people every day. A smile is taking care of someone. It makes them feel so much better. And so uh, I've always believed in that. And I've seen, I've seen professional caregivers do their job. And I know how difficult that is. And I know how rewarding it is also, you know. Uh, therapists or caregivers. Therapists would come and work with my mother. They'd come and work with Paul. And I would just see the dedication, actually the devotion that they have for that person. And that's why I would learn. Every, and I would ask them, can you teach me how to do this so that you know I can work with my mother or with Paul later yes, on? As a physical therapist? Yes, physical therapist. Yes, yes, yes. And, uh, and so mm. and, and it's just so vital. I mean, without, without proper caregiving, um, how will we take care of our loved ones when they are ill you've you know if you don't know what to do you freak out or sometimes you just ignore it i i know that people do ignore caregiving oh <laughs> they, absolutely you know they'll just sure. say oh she'll get better he'll get better right. in, me- in the meantime they're not getting better and they need to eat or they need to get up and go
2: to the bathroom they need help right yeah you a lot know? of denial now mm-hmm. did you continue to have paid caregivers when after you quit your job and you went home or did all the maria's go away no
4: the maria stayed with my mom uh the, During the day and then and then we would take turns. In the evening,
2: and that's a nice way to Uh you know uh, some paid help if you can swing that. Yes, um, so that it doesn't all fall on you or or sharing some of that care with your siblings. Yes, and
4: often the Marias were like, "Oh, Michael, we I can come back." They were so kind. Like I say, I think it was because we were kind too. Sure. Have you
1: stayed in touch with the three Marias? Uh huh. Uh
4: huh. Yeah.
1: I'm not surprised. (laughs) That's pretty cool. One last quick question. Uh Totally unrelated, but (laughs) you said uh, you began your career on the police beat. How did you go from that to fashion?
4: Uh, One day I was at the LA Times, and uh, uh, and, you know, flash forward, I was, I started in Police Beat. I always like to say I've gone from crimes of of passion to crimes of fashion, (laughs) which I have. And And you write about (laughs) it. (laughs) Yeah, I was a feature writer at the Los Angeles Times, and I was walking past my editor's office. She called me, and she said, I have a Fabulous assignment for you, I said. Yeah, what is it? She says, Well, you start in New York, and then I'll send you to London, and then Italy, and then Paris, and then you come back to L.A. And I was like, It's the the collections. And she said, Yeah. And I said, But Michelle, I don't, you know, I don't cover fashion. She says, No, but you're fashionable, and you need to give yourself more credit. And besides, I don't want to send a fashion writer. I want to send a reporter.
1: Wow.
2: Nice. Good for you. Very nice. And it
1: turned into a big chunk of your career.
4: Yeah. So I did that for maybe a good. Uh, maybe good eight years at the LA Times, covered Hollywood and all that. Wow. And my mom loved to hear those stories. This is the next
1: show because we got to stop you <laughs> right there. Michael Kennedy. we thank you so much for coming in. Uh, oh, my pleasure. Thank you. You're listening to Caregiver SOS on air and you can see Michael and me on the stage uh, at, at the,
2: November 1st at the Caregiver Summit in San Antonio or look for us cool.
1: online. Carol Zerniel, I'm Ron Aaron. This is Caregiver SOS on air. Up next, take 10 ever wonder what you can learn from listening to WellMed Radio? Hi, I'm Ron Aaron. Our co-host Cora Juke is here, a nurse practitioner. What can folks learn from WellMed Radio?
3: You know, we talk about a lot of things such as chronic disease management, how to manage your diabetes, your blood pressure, but we also talk about social issues such as what WellMed offers and what you can do to improve your health and improve your life.
1: And it's something that uh, you're newer to WellMed Radio, and I get a kick out of working with you. What is it you like about doing radio?
3: Well, I like to make sure that my patients are educated, that they know how to take care of themselves, because I only get a brief moment in time to take care of them in the office, and I want to partner with them and make sure they have everything they need at home.
1: Nurse practitioner, Cora Juke. I'm Ron Aaron. You can catch WellMed Radio Sundays at 5 p.m. exclusively on 930 a.m. The Answer. Be there. Well, thank you so much for being here for Caregiver SOS On Air. At the end of every one of our Caregiver SOS On Air programs, as you know, we jump to Take 10. And Dr. Jamie Heisman joins us along with our co-host, Carol Zerniel. I'm Ron Aaron. Jamie is a nationally known psychotherapist and expert on addictions and caregiving as well. And Jamie, Carol's got a great topic for you.
2: Well, we were had as usual. Yes, as usual. Yes, we, we, as usual. Uh, a recent guest really triggered the thought in my head about he, you know this was somebody who was so involved in caregiving, you know the caregiver that quits their job that takes caregiving twenty four seven for years, um, and then when their loved one passes away, all of a sudden you know you're not a caregiver anymore. There's a big and, hole. And in you're their not life. at work anymore, so you're not who you were, and you're not a caregiver. Is 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 there is it difficult? Do is it hard for caregivers to let go being a caregiver? Is that something that everybody just automatically you know stops doing, walks away, and picks up their old life?
5: No, it, it's incredibly difficult. In fact, we call it post caregiving syndrome. If you can imagine that, there literally is a condition about that. I mean, it's so difficult to move on after you've been taking care of somebody for such a period of time. And it's also extraordinarily difficult to grieve, and we don't know how to grieve, and we don't know how long it takes to grieve. And so in post-caregiving syndrome, the first thing we always tell caregivers is give yourself the time to grieve and to heal and avoid kind of comparing with other people, when this should be, this is the first the first foundation of post caregiving.
2: Well, and sometimes, especially in the United States, we're not real big into dragging things out. And maybe after a week, people will be like, "The funeral's over. It's been a week, and you should be fine." I mean, aren't is, you done grieving fine? yet?
5: Remember, fine, freaked out, insecure, neurotic, and emotional.
2: Well, That's and fine, it, but you know, but <laughs> but it's true. We don't. I mean, I think that you bring up a very good point by um, letting caregivers know that there is, you know, every caregiver is different, every situation is different, and you, everybody grieves in their own time. And some may be able to get over. I've known some that really did pick up and just move on next day, um, and some it takes much longer.
1: My Aunt Reva never got over it, ever, was 40 it the, years. Was it
2: the caregiving or the loss?
1: It was both. It was the both, both losing Uncle Leo yeah. and caregiving.
2: That's, that's truly also another syndrome
5: we call complicated grief reaction. And sometimes, obviously, that sort of really eternal, if you will, mourning kind of morphs itself into depression. And it's so important if, if this sort of mourning or this grieving process, you know, extends out four to six months to get a psychiatric evaluation and to be able to take a look at the, at the depression. I mean, many, many family caregivers also feel very guilty. Uh, when this all happens, for choices they made while they were a caregiver, while the loved one was alive. And it, it takes time. It takes time to literally forgive yourself, if you will, and have compassion for yourself and to figure out what you want. I mean, all of a sudden you have a fresh start and you're frozen.
1: Now, do they know that?
5: I don't think so. I think the fresh start piece is sometimes what we think that we don't necessarily deserve, Ron. In fact, you know, this guilt reaction, you've often heard me say that guilt is exactly the correlate of of low self-esteem. So the higher self-esteem one has, the lower the guilt. And I think once our self-esteem is good and we're tapping into our resilience and taking care of ourselves and building our self-esteem, then the guilt sort of goes away a little bit, and we realize we're entitled to a fresh start.
2: Right. but But I agree with you, Jamie. I think that um, you do have a playlist in your head of everything you screwed up, you know, as sort of a an immediate reaction after someone has passed, and you feel bad for everything you did wrong or everything you didn't do or do better.
1: And maybe they would have done
5: better. Maybe they would have Yeah, lived or somebody
2: longer. else would have done better. And I, and I, I think that's pretty common.
5: It is. It's the self-talk. It's the vortex of negativity. It's our minds almost attacking ourselves. And that's why... It's also critical in the post-caregiving time to to really create a, a, a genuine social network, uh, whether it's a support group that that you you've attended before, or you can find a new, or literally family and friends. Or and those friends and family can be anybody who never again you felt was connected to you beforehand. Do not whatever you do, do not uh, isolate and stay with them. Create a very meaningful social circle.
2: Well, is it helpful for caregivers? Um, to take on, you know, like maybe hang out with other people who are still caregiving. Uh, Is that a way to kind of bridge that gap from being a caregiver to helping other caregivers? We often hear, particularly with Alzheimer's caregivers, that they had such a tough time and now they just want to be help other caregivers that are caring for someone with Alzheimer's. I think it's so
5: therapeutic to give back. Um, We we have a saying that to, to keep it, you have to give it away. Obviously, you need to take the time to grieve. You need to find maybe a good therapist, a good group, uh, be able, you know, again, not to isolate. But what you're saying makes so much sense, Carol, if you can actually go back, if you will, and also provide care to others and be able to talk and communicate genuinely, authentically with them. That also does so much in terms of the grieving process.
1: Now, how do professional caregivers handle this? Because they also face that loss. Is it just, well, it's part of my job, now I move on to somebody else?
5: Well, now you're really talking, Ron, and, and it's serious burnout and compassion fatigue. And, and so the professional caregiver literally seeing, let's say, you know, 10, 20 people sometimes a day, sometimes it's only two, of course, but it depends upon what professional caregiving role we're at. But if they're not taking care of themselves, their mind, their body, their soul, uh, they're going to constantly recreate a trauma and trigger a trauma or an unresolved issue in themselves, and they'll get further detached, further into depression and anxiety. And that is literally the essence of what burnout
1: is. He's Dr. Jamie Heisman. I'm Ron Aaron, along with our co-host Carol Zornio. This is Take 10 on Caregiver SOS on air on 930 AM. The answer, we're talking about what in the world caregivers do post-caregiving.
2: Well, so, you know, post-caregiving is, we've talked about time to grieve, we've talked about maybe some transitional activities, um, giving yourself permission to start new, um, you know, and and we've also talked about some counseling. Is there anything else that you recommend for people who no longer have that loved one uh, to, to try to be normal again, whatever normal is?
5: I think you put your finger right on it, and whether it's actually helping another person who's going through caregiving or really, or finding a place to volunteer and really helping somebody who's more disadvantaged or, or disenfranchised in our society. I really believe that that gives the social connection that we so need, and it gives us the purpose. And literally, that's what we're talking about a lot of times when a caregiver has this post-caregiving syndrome, is that they feel they, they lack that purpose. The purpose was to take care of their loved ones. And so that's no longer there. It's a huge, let's say, uh, you know, hole inside of you. So what you said was so critical. And it doesn't have to be caregivers that we go back to help. But if we can provide help in some fashion while we're taking care of ourselves, redirect that family caregiving to our own self-care, I think then we're in the groove.
2: Well, and I can think of um, a friend who was a caregiver for a long time. And really those, those first, you know, months after their loved one died, Spending time not only taking care of all the legal issues, the will and all of that, but then really kind of recreating There's the space as you know the space was all set up for caring for someone, and the house wasn't really a house it had morphed into a medical facility in some ways. and so you know rethinking about how they wanted to live and what furniture they wanted to keep and rearrange and, and, and really kind of give them the house a facelift so that it was no longer the place where someone was sick for such a long time.
1: After my dad died, my my mother, who had been caring for him for several years, had a real tough time adjusting, and she tried to reach out. She tried to get out into the community, but it was for her a big hurdle. She knew she was depressed, but she didn't want to get help.
5: Yes, and, and that's true, and that's what we tend to do with any chronic illness, Ron, is we tend to isolate. Getting help for us doesn't feel like, like we want There's a little still shame and stigma attached to this whole process of caregiving. It's like a mental health challenge. But to Carol's point, when you do that whole new house and, and, and look at all the stuff and try to get rid of things, make sure you're doing it with a loved one or a friend so you can actually process what's happening uh, throughout. And to your point, Ron, whatever you do, don't isolate.
1: I think it took her probably a year and a half to finally move his clothes out.
2: Yeah, and yeah. it's, and and it's that, interesting because some people do it immediately, right. like next day, Gone. and other people it's still there years and years exactly. later. Exactly. Yeah.
5: Now, is and my it, friend who just passed last last week also that same thing. His his wife is trying to get rid of everything very quickly, and I told her ease out, just get just allow allow the grief process to take you in an organic fashion.
1: Got to stop you right there, Doctor Jamie. Thank you. Take ten with Ron Aaron, Carol Zurnial, Doctor Jamie Heisman, nine thirty a.m. The Answer Caregiver SOS on air.
0: You've been listening to Caregiver SOS On Air, presented by the WellMed Charitable Foundation. Email suggestions and comments on this radio program to radio at wellmed.net. And join your hosts, Ron Aaron and Carol Zerniel for another edition of Caregiver SOS On Air on 930 AM, The Answer.